Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Sports Scope. This 1-1-2020 edition. Happy New Year officially all across the United States today. I do want to talk about uh, a little bit about today's bowl games. My issue with bowl games nowadays is that if it's not the college playoff, it is viewed more as an exhibition game. I can never get that right. And you you got a lot of the star players um, sitting out the games that are that are uh, supposed to go high in the draft. Today you did not get that. So you had some good bowl games today. And uh, Pro Football Talk reported today Ron Tannehill is the NFL's highest rated uh, passing quarterback. And I want to just um, – Give, a, give the Titans organizations and fans a heads up on this, that up and down type of play, and not to overact and overpay a guy like Ryan Tannehill. I'll get into that comparison. Uh, kind of reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Also, uh, the main thing I want to talk about today is the passing of former NBA Commissioner David Stern. That's the biggest story of the day. And that's what I want to get to here on Sportscope. Welcome to Sportscope. I'm your host, Robert Butler. Wore my best suit uh, in memory of uh, David Stern. My earliest memories of David Stern is always looking at the NBA draft, the nice suits that the players will wear, particularly in Orlando in 1993. I remember a lot of the hype coming out from Shaq coming out, really nice suit, meeting uh, David Stern, uh, holding up the number one jersey of the Orlando Magic. Uh, Very interesting memory. But let me get into today's story, and I want to talk about one of his most controversial rules turned out to be one of the most biggest blessings in disguise for NBA players and the fashion industry. I'll get into that. But let's get to today's top story. Former NBA commissioner uh, David Stern died today at 77. Uh, I got this off ESPN.com. NBA commissioner during the most successful period in league history died. Uh, He died of a brain hemorrhage. He suffered three weeks ago. His wife, Deanne, and their family were with him at the bedside, the NBA said. For 22 years, I had a courtside seat to watch David Stern in action. He was a mentor, one of my dearest friends, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said in a statement, the current commissioner of the NBA. David took over the NBA back in 1984. Keep this in mind, everybody, these dates. In a league at the crossroads, but over the course of 30 years, he ushered in a modern global NBA. He launched launched groundbreaking media, marketing partnerships, digital assets, and social responsibility programs like the NBA Cares, I remember that stuff. Uh, He also brought the game to billions of people around the world because of David Stern. The NBA is truly a global brand, making him not only one of the greatest sports commissioners of all time, but one of the most influential business leaders. Remember we were talking about earlier in the year about all this uh, scarcity of NBA players, LeBron James, uh, owners, uh, of the Houston Rockets, very reluctant to criticize China and their communist issues with 
the protesters in Hong Kong. Why? Because there's billions and billions of dollars uh, that the NBA makes from the China market. You want to credit that to David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA, who passed away today. Stern was commissioner three decades and spearheaded the league into a global market. He helped expand the backbone of the NBA star players heightened by the Dream Team in 1992. Uh, that was... Me personally, I started watching the NBA seriously uh, 1991. Before my 10th birthday, I was nine years old. My parents uh, went through, uh, they've been divorced, they were divorced in like 1985. And both got remarried in 89. Both got settled in. And, and my dad, I started getting more acclimated with him during that time. And he was... Uh, Showing me, talking to me about the game of basketball, and between him and my friends in school, we used to get basketball cards. When you get like a Happy Meal, whatever, the the McDonald's would give away basketball cards of uh, of star players and everything. So then I started I started collecting NBA cards before uh, baseball cards. Baseball cards were traditionally more uh, more of a collector's item at that time. Then basketball cards. Uh, like I said, started getting more acclimated with my dad, and he gets settled in playing basketball, backyard basketball, playing in PE, uh, starting to follow the players along a little bit more around that 91, 92. Uh, the, the phenomenal Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Uh, bet my dad a friendly wager of $5. He was a big Magic Johnson fan. I was at all by Michael Jordan, the rise of Michael Jordan at that time. And that was my first bet I won with my father. Five bucks uh, allowance uh, that the Bulls would beat the Lakers in the 91 finals. I remember him calling me when I go to, went to my mom's that weekend. And he said, well, it looks like you're going to lose your first bet, son. Make sure not bet. And I said, okay. Well, you know, I had it saved up in my piggy bank from doing chores and stuff around the house. Uh, but uh, his, uh, that was just game one. Michael Jordan and the Bulls came back and won uh, four straight and to give him his first title in the dynasty begins. But I'm saying all that because with David Stern, his philosophy was to market the individual players instead of the team. Now, there's a flip side of that is is it's just more player empowerment and all that stuff where you, you've got a too much power player empowerment with these guaranteed contracts and stuff. But his thing was, I want to get people um, involved with liking the players. You can see the players' faces. We've got lighting and marketing opportunities. He saw he saw the fact that the guys can look appear to be nice guys. They had the NBA Cares program, stuff like that. And I'll talk to you a controversial uh, rule that he came up with in 2006 that turned out to be a huge blessing in disguise. A lot of you know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to tease that as we go along here. I'm trying to see if I'm not missing anything from this original NBA story today. So Michael Jordan, when Michael Jordan speaks, people listen, okay? Uh, he even, let's see, uh, the, still staying with the NBA, uh, with the ESPN side of the story. So Stern and the NBA also endured label strife. So this was the bad. Uh, they did have a lockout. 
The first lockout in NBA history occurred when Stern, as commissioner, 95 and 96, did not result in loss of games, but lockout in 98. That was a bad one. In 2011, led to regular season games shortened from 50 and 66 games. Uh, that was really bad. The one in 98-99 was really bad. I remember the Spurs went up and won the championship that year. Uh, I did want to note David Stern's tenure in the NBA became one of the most popular leagues in the world. Increased television revenue from $10 million a year to $900 million per year. Magic Johnson, a key member of the 1992 Dream Team, praised Stern for his services and tweets for how he responded after Johnson's announcement from retirement in 1991 after announcing he had HIV. Quote, David Stern was a history maker when I announced in 91 I had HIV. People thought that they were going to get it, the virus, from shaking my hand. Uh, my Magic tweeted tonight, when David allowed me to play in the 92 All-Star game in Orlando, I remember it like it was yesterday, everybody. He had a great game, by the way, uh, even though no, nobody was guarding. But it was a very special moment. But anyways, uh, 92 All-Star game in Orlando for the Dream Team. We were eligible to change. We were able to change the world. That was a very historical moment. And that was from Magic Johnson. Now, here's from Michael Jordan, a guy who doesn't really speak a lot uh, publicly, as you would think. Mike says, without David Stern, the NBA, NBA would not be what it is today. He guided this league throughout a tr tr uh, turbulent times and grew the league into an international phenomenon, creating opportunities that few could have ever imagined before. His vision and leadership provided me the global stage that allowed me to succeed. David has a deep love for the game of basketball and demanded excellence for those around him, and I admired him for that. I wouldn't be where I am without him. I offer my deepest sympathies to his uh, widow, Diana, and his family. Let's see. Okay, I just made some more notes. Okay, so here's a story from this is from Rolling Stone magazine in 2016 in regards to one of the most controversial uh, rules that Stern came in about. And it goes into explaining why he wanted to implement the dress code in 2005. Rolling Stone magazine. Okay. Superstars like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. Russell Westbrook and James Harden over the years. The NBA is the most stylish league around, and the NBA superstars around the most stylish group of athletes of all time, according to GQ style guy Mark Anthony Green. These guys are into very high fashion, a lot of genivency, $50 word, a lot of balamain, balamain. And they look good. They don't look like a bunch of 20-year-olds dressing like 50-year-olds. Designers are paying attention to them. It's great to have that. But that wasn't always the case. It's an evening, September 4th in 2012. Millions of people around America tuned into The Late Show with David Letterman. Introduces David uh, Dwayne Wade. This is talking about the fashion statement come from his 2005 dress code rule that required players to wear a shirt, a uh, jacket, uh, attire instead of some of the clothes I'm going to get to in a minute and, and the criticisms that came from that and why he went into that. So anyways, 
the Wayne Wade, the 2011-2007 champion and author of a new memoir, A Father First, How My Life Became Bigger. This is him on David Letterman, David uh, Dwayne Wade, uh, future NBA, uh, uh, NBA Hall of Famer, former Miami Heat player here, retired. Uh, his book says, A Father First, How My Life Became Bigger Than Basketball. In, in his studio audience, Wade walks into the stage wearing a bumblebee yellow blazer, a gray shirt, a silver tie, dark jeans, and a gray suede loafers. Audiences around America are be- bewildered. It was, it is this the same player who walked into the very stage in July 06 wearing Jordan's baggy ba- uh, basketball pants, an oversized t-shirt, and a Chicago White Sox hat over a do-rag. Indeed, the same guy, little do they realize, he's not only a world champion, but a fashion pioneer. The league was struggling around the time Dwayne Wade started his career in 2003. NBA viewership had decreased every year since Michael Jordan's second retirement after the 98-99 season. Then on November 8th, the famous brawl, the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers in November of 2004, Nicknamed Malice in the Palace, players from both teams engage in a fight and involve players assaulting fans, vice versa. In 10 minutes on national TV, Ron Artest got a full season suspension for punching fans along with other four teammates charged with assault and battery. Five fans were berated players with racial slurs who also charged with the assault and battery. The league had serious issues and indeed some kind of collective uh, corrective action. NBA Commissioner David Cern decided that the league's image needed to change literally. So that was a really dark moment in NBA history. The ratings were already down at that point. The malice in the palace, Ron Artest, turned out to be a great guy. I listened to several interviews of him now. Uh, He has grown up so much you would not recognize him. Uh, He later changed his name to Metal War Peace. I believe it's back to Ron Artest. Either way, Guys got kids now who really regret what happened, but the NBA did grow from that. So at the onset of the 2005-2006 season, Stern instituted that he referred to as liberal and easygoing dress code that mandated players wear business casual attire when participating in Tigger League activities. The code also prohibited prohibited headgear of any kind as well as change uh, chains, uh, pendants, uh, medallions worn over players' clothes. Allen Iverson, known for his tattoos, wearing flat brim head, uh, hats, do rags, chains, baggy clothes, sneakers, were not on the court, was seen as primary target of the dress code, and in turn was the most outspoken critics. They're targeting my generation, the hip hop generation, Iverson claimed in a TV interview. Golden State Warriors shooting guard. Jason Richardson called the code kind of racist and said that it targets blacks in an interview with the Associated Press. Marcus Canby, Paul Pierce, Stephen Jackson, and others also publicly critical. But over the years, the NBA players accepted and embraced and eventually came to have fun with the new dress code, according to the men's process. Did it, uh, let's see, three, four. Did on the main stage in early his career, James Controversy left his native Cleveland to join the Miami Heat prior to 2010. There, where he and Wade won back-to-back championships and 
uh, Wade went on. Wade went as far as to credit David Stern's dress code for fashion sense. It was okay. Now we really got to dress up. I guess they was talking about after they won a championship, he, he becoming more and more high profile, so he want to up his dress game. Dress up and uh, just can't throw on a sweatsuit, he said in a 2014 interview. Then it became a competition amongst guys. Uh you really get into it more and more stated. You really understand the clothes you put on your body, the materials you're stating to wear, and when you have become a fan of it. Green agrees with Wade's assessment. When the dress code became players had to wear suits, and there wasn't a way around it. But guys in the NBA were so competitive, so the ones who buy the Valentino suit and next one dress up, now you can be the top NBA player. Now you have to look like the part off court. And now if you're not the top NBA player, you still want to look like one. A rookie at a random team wants to dress like LeBron James. These looks don't, don't work all the time. However, Pratt Institute fashion professor, uh, Adrian Jones, NBA superstars have a lot of discretionary cash to spend. Many of them use fashion to exemplify the superstar lifestyle. It looks range from, uh, high style swag to rock and roll influence sometimes to hot mess and expensive trash. I mean, there's a critic everywhere you go, but this steam from basically players having their own clothing line. Now you have all this star from David Stern, uh, Cam Newton. Uh, now you have players in other sports, the NFL getting involved into these fashion looks like this. So this all started from what when ratings became down and then the malice in the palace, the black guy and I read how he would call races and all that. Now it's transferred to NBA, a high fashion. Uh, you're getting endorsement deals. And it leads to, like I said, players having their own lines. And it just looks it looks better. Players love it. So that it, it just uh, and, it, and this this is a very long, drawn out. Um, and now you see players taking a little too far. Guys like Draymond Green with the short suits on and all that stuff. But it, it just shows LeBron James. This Rolling Stone interview uh, article goes on and on. LeBron James looking like an executive CEO and. Um, all that good stuff. But where the NBA is, is because of a guy like David Stern, an iron-fisted guy that that is an older gentleman who who, who know, uh, knows what it takes to become successful, and he doesn't let uh, 22 to 26-year-olds dictate his league. Now, again, this goes back to what I was saying before about Adam Silver giving in a little too much to – the social justice issues and to the uh, bending a little over a little too much to the players, trying to be a little too flexible to these issues instead of having that iron fist. What's good for business is ultimately good for the players' paychecks, and what's good for the players' paychecks, the players have the money and the influence to and uh, just change in their communities. If you got more money, you're making more money, you have more, more power and a more ability 
to get other people in your community educated and, and get them schooled up and, 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 and prevent poverty from happening in some of these areas. He made this a global game. He made this where uh, countries like China, all these television contracts before David Stern, the, the, the professionals never played in the Olympics. It was always college players. In 1992, one of the greatest teams of all time was assembled. Uh, we were slipping against other countries in the other uh, previous Olympic Games, sliding out, not winning the gold medal. So 1992, he says, what a great marketing campaign that we can have our stars in America. Magic Johnson, uh, even after the HIV uh, incident, Larry Bird, him and Magic Johnson, some would say saved the NBA, the competitive. Uh, Larry Bird being a white guy, Magic Johnson being a black guy. Magic Johnson have a big personality. Larry Bird being an extremely good player a gifted player, a hard-nosed player. One played on the East Coast, more of a rugged, uh, hard-nosed defensive team when the ball set them. One played on the West Coast, flashy, fast. And Magic had a great personality, has a great personality. And then that blossomed into Michael Jordan taking it to another level. His dominance, his his flash, his uh, the grit, determination, all those endorsements. David Stern pushed players to do this. Like I said before, he did the NBA's care program. Uh, it's a lot of little stuff that he done now that I'm older. I figured out business-wise, really good marketing opportunities. He has that iron-fisted approach. Everybody stands up to pledge allegiance in the NBA. You have uh, you have the dress code, blessing this guy, blessing this guy. David Stern, he would have never let some kind of bathroom law. He never got in local politics like Adam Silver, uh, taking away the All-Star game out of Charlotte, uh, changing the, the league's uh, owners to governors. He will never let that nonsense happen. You're supposed to set the tone as a commissioner. Let the 25-year-olds and under learn from you. You don't need to learn from them. You can listen to them. He took away the, the basketball and gave it back. Uh, he wanted to change up the basketball. The guys complained about it. He said, we'll go back to the regular basketball. That is what the players. He wasn't over the top, but more often than not, your your, your strong-fisted, pro-business type of commissioner is not going to be very popular. Uh, at the end of the day, he's going to make the right decision. So uh, rest in peace, my friend David Stern. Uh that's a big part of my sports love is seeing him with the players uh, on draft night with the really nice suits. The players, uh, they were very young, uh, didn't look as good, but it, it just it, holding up the jersey, Shaquille O'Neal, 93, uh, Penny Hardway, just watching the NBA draft and the coolness of it and where the NBA was. Uh, NBA was what I wanted to do. I wanted when I was 10 years old through marketing, through people like David Stern using Michael Jordan, it, it may, it, I wanted to play guard in the NBA when I was 10. I thought maybe 
my dad was telling, well, maybe if you got this gene from this side of the family or that gene for that side of the family, uh, maybe you can be over six foot tall. He was on, he's only like five ten, and my mom's like five foot tall. I'm five eight. I wanted to be either the next Michael Jordan if I couldn't get that tall, or maybe being the next John Stockton point guard, all time sis leader, or maybe a Jason Kidd type of player. That didn't work out, but it, it's just the business sense and and marketing that uh, and and using a guy like Michael Jordan to help, and that's why he put out that statement. Uh, you know, he owns he owns the Charlotte Hornets. He knows what David Stern and if Adam Sim, Silver goes back and, and reads over what his mentor did, he needs to adopt some of those stronger fisted policies and not let the players run the league, uh, guide the players, help educate the players. And sometimes it's telling the players uh, not what they want to hear now, but what's good for them later. Just like I said with this uh, business address code store, huge blessing to guys. The players love it. And I love it too. I mean, uh, Paul Harvey, some people ask me, why do you wear a suit when you do your show? And Paul Harvey, uh, one of the people that I'm trying to emulate, uh, one of the great radio personalities in the history of radio, uh, wore a suit and we know we did a radio show and he stopped wearing a suit. And one of his close friends and listeners says, I can tell you wasn't wearing a suit because it just came out in your voice. And I thought, wow, it's pretty interesting. I think I'm gonna start wearing a suit every day. So that's my thing on that. Um, that's the biggest news story today, everybody. I, you know, like I said, uh, he, he's a he's one of the greatest commissioners and business influencers of all time in David Stern. Okay, other news. Pro Football Talk. Uh, Ryan Tannehill becomes the highest rated starting quarterback in 2019. Great headline. Fans run to you better pay him five years, 155 million. Yeah, okay. He's 31 years old. Uh, noted he only played everybody, he only played for um 10 games this year. So keep that in mind. Hold on, everybody. I've got to switch out my I had to uh switch out my uh podcast side to get um it can only it can only run for about 30 minutes, and I don't want to get at 25, 26, I usually want to get it uh, changed out because I get involved in these stories and lose out everything. So this is from Pro Football Talk today. This was reported uh, about 10 o'clock this morning. 2020, uh, Mike Florio's site says, could be a very good year for Ryan Tannehill. It becomes the 2019, an unexpected great year for him. Tannehill started 10 games for uh, Marcus Mariota. 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, average gain of 9.6 yards uh, per throw, 70.3 completion percentage. That is off the charts. Uh, generated 117.5 NFL's passion formula, which is based on calculations in four categories. Incredibly, it's the fourth highest single season passer rate of all time behind. Aaron Rodgers in 2011, Peyton Manning in 2004, uh, Nick Foles in 2013, and in 2019 next is uh, Drew Brees, who missed five games with a thumb injury, but still generated a 116.3, the highest passer rating of his career. 
Inevitably, uh, it says Lamar Jackson's MVP racked up a passer rating of one thirteen point three, which is with the with the league league thirty six touchdowns, six picks for the Ravens. Next would be uh, Kirk Cousins. 107.4, then Russell Wilson at 106.3. Lions, Matthew Stafford's limited to eight starts with a back injury, finished at 106. And 2018 MVP Patrick Mahomes finished, who missed two games with the knee injury, quietly had a 105.3. And Jimmy Garoppolo rating a 102 in 16 games. So... Also, we want to note that Derrick Henry led the league in rushing yards. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, 30, he's, he's 31 years old. He is coming off of a team in the Miami Dolphins with Adam Gase. They did have a winning record together, but he was often injured. And also went back and looked just to make sure that I, my eyes weren't and my memory wasn't um, wasn't failing me, uh, and it was true. Uh, he is a lot minus the journeyman. He's a lot like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy who, ironically, went up to New England and beat New England in New England on Sunday. I'm gonna read these stats here. For example. Let's see. Uh, okay, Ryan Tannehill. Okay, last year with, with Miami against New England, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 156 uh, passing rating. I mean, that unbelievable. And that was a game where they, they won it at the last minute there. It was uh, – Gronk was on the field when he shouldn't have been. And uh, the Miami Dolphins scored. They lost that game. The Patriots did. At Cincinnati, remember Cincinnati fired their coach, Marvin Lewis, last year. Ryan Tenhill, same guy. 185 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, 57 QBR rating. Up and down, up and down. He's very streaky. Who else is very streaky? There's a guy named Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like I just said a minute ago, the guy who not currently plays with the Miami Dolphins went to beat New England in New England yesterday. Uh, Fitzpatrick is a journeyman quarterback. He's played up for about eight teams. I think he has a record for most touchdowns uh, with, with, with so many different teams. A record you probably don't want to have, but he does got it. He uh, looked like Joe Montana slash uh, Tom Brady in week one last year when he played for Tampa Bay when Jameis Winston was hurt. Look at these stats. Listen to this. Vines Fitzpatrick, 417 yards, four touchdowns, 36 rushing yards, one touchdown. That, that would have been a fantasy just galore. A uh, few weeks later, Washington, no touchdowns, two interceptions, quarterback rating 35.2. Uh, I'm saying all this to say that Ron Tannehill is, is a lot like Ron Fitzpatrick. There's a reason why Miami moved off Ron Tannehill. 
He had several games like Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll go beat New England, and then he'll go on the road to Cincinnati, 185 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, 57. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, they call him Fitzmagic. He'll be hot for four or five games. He's like that shooter in the NBA, the streaky shooter, the three-pointer shooter that guy hits uh, first five threes. He has this great game, and then the next week uh, has 36 points. Next game, he, he's uh, he's two for seven. Uh, he's in foul trouble, and he's got two points and, and, and five fouls. And you're asked, what happened? I don't see that kind of fall off, but I see that type of um, – I'm looking for some other notes here about this. I wanted to put them – I had them on the back of my – another sheet here. Okay. So who does this remind you of? I said Ryan Fitzpatrick, but we can go with the more successful quarterback in, in Nick Foles. Very similar career. Nick Foles bounced around the league, was uh, very close to retiring and being out of the NFL. Uh, right place, right time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Right team, right system. Uh, comes in, they win a Super Bowl, and now they moved on from him. Uh, he was benched this year by the my, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars for a guy named um, Minshew. And but I'll say this: Ron Tannehill. I was saying just let him go, but when you are the highest-rated passer, uh, you have a team rolling like this, I would say give him a Nick Foles type of contract offer. Nick Foles makes about $22 million a year, has a three-year contract, has a four-year contract. Uh, that is more than reasonable. I would probably give him a two-year contract, or uh, excuse me, three-year contract around $22 million a year, and you get an out in the third year for Ryan Tannehill. Now, I was reading articles that him and his wife are very comfortable here in Nashville. They enjoy their time here. The cost of living here compared to an L.A. or New York, uh, Chicago, any of these really high coastal regions that may want to offer this guy uh, a big contract, it, it's, it's, it, this is a very good place to live. Cost of living it, it is way down compared to those cities. Uh, this is considered one of the most friendliest cities in America. But my thing is, I still think this guy's an inconsistent player. You give yourself an out. And you give him a sell, uh, you give him a chance to prove to you. Remember, Brian Tennell also has injury, has an injury history as well. This is what John Robertson and Mike Vrabel, the Titan staff, have to think about this year. You have to take the emotion out. We 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 appreciate what you've done. They have a I haven't broken down the games yet, and I'll probably come back on Saturday before these games come on. But I'm leaning towards taking the Titans to go up there and beat New England. New England's reeling right now. They don't have uh, a deep threat. Uh, Julian Edelman is not 
they just don't have uh, – there's not a trustworthiness between uh, O'Leary, the rookie, and Mohamed Sanu, acquired receiver with Tom Brady. There's just not that much you can run on this team, even though they have a good secondary. They're just not as good as they've been in the past. They have kicker issues. Their kicker's been out for the season. Uh, Brady's 42. Uh, this team is not what it once was. They're still good. They're still a threat, but they're, they're, they're not um, feared at the level they once were a year ago and, and, and farther back. So, But anyways, going back to Tannehill, I don't think there's anybody else that would offer him more money than that in the type of situation he has. He has above-average offensive line. He has a receiver, a young, sensational receiver that, that he has already got immediate uh, uh, chemistry with. A.J. Brown kind of reminds me of Marcus Colston uh, and, and the uh, uh, Drew Brees chemistry back in the day. A lot of chemistry there and a still-developing, highly-drafted uh, uh, Corey Davis on the other side there. You got tied, young tight end, John o. Smith. This team has several pieces on the defensive side. Very tough to run between the tackles on Tennessee. Uh, has some injuries on the secondary. Uh, they've gotten past that. Real good safety. So have a good playoff. Well, they're in the playoffs. Playoffs slash Super Bowl uh, potential roster there. So what you do is you give this guy a couple of years, give him next year, and maybe uh, you could sign him to extension if he if he emulates this next year. But my thing is, going into today's games and last week's playoff, college football playoff, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Justin Fields had 40 touchdowns and one interception. Trevor Lawrence is uh, 6'6", prototypical quarterback. Uh, very uh, high football IQ. He is uh, most NFL scouts said he could have been the number one pick last year. He's getting better at his reads. He's extremely athletic. He runs when he needs to. He, he he's got a very high grade uh, as a NFL prospect. Justin Fields will get better. The Ohio State. Both of those guys are juniors. So Tennessee, if you want to sign this guy to a three-year deal, an out and two. You can get that quarterback in 2021. If this guy has a mediocre season next year, which I expect him to, you and, and then he can uh, still be on your team in the 2021-2022 season. And uh, if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields beats him out, great. If they don't, you keep him in. But – a team like Tennessee, that's what that's the conversation I'm having. If I am Mike Rabel and John uh, Robertson, we talk to Tannehill's agent and we go over it. If he gives us this, we want five year guarantee, uh, twenty eight to thirty five million dollar years. We'll say bye, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. We're not judging you on this year. We're judging you on your whole career. You know, Colin Coward always says, I never t judge a player on his best year or his worst year. Worst year may be the first year in the league. His best year, uh, for instance, he uses the real estate, and I used to be a realtor, the realtor analogy where you sell 
a couple million dollar homes and you have your best year versus the first year of a major recession or your first year in the business, uh, you take those two years out and then you do the other three or four or five years and you average them together and find out what type of players this guy is. He had a winning record, but he was also hurt a lot. Remember in 2014 when they got to the uh, playoffs, first time in a long time that Miami team against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Matt Moore was a quarterback because Tannehill was injured. Remember, Tannehill was a receiver converted to a quarterback with Texas A&M. He's gotten better uh, as uh, you could say, well, he's got a better coaching staff and team. This is too short of a sample size for that. Remember what this article said? He only played for 10 games for Marcus Mariota. It tells you that how bad Marcus Mariota is and that he's probably likely going to be a career backup if that going forward in the NFL. But it does not tell you that Tannehill is going to be the end-all, be-all. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of giving guys big contract on short samples here and there. I understand that the 49ers took a big risk, and it seems to pay off with Jimmy Garoppolo. But remember, he was with the, um, I want to say going on three years with New England. And you could see how good he was playing with them. Uh, it was a gamble, but he has an excellent coach there with an excellent running game, was on blocking. He still could be bad in another system, Jimmy Garoppolo. But I just don't think that that is a case with a guy like Ryan Tannehill. We have sample sizes of year in and year out with Ryan Tannehill. So I'm just saying, Tennessee, don't give this guy the farm. I would pay him reasonable, a Nick Foles type of $22 million salary, preferably three years. You get an out after two and roll your dice and move ahead from there. Okay? Uh, thoughts and observations about today's games. Uh, Jake, Jake Fromm uh, looked good for what I saw in the first half. Now, this was against Baylor, not the greatest defense in the world. Now, remember, Jake Fromm lost his offensive coordinator this year. Uh, his offensive coordinator is now the offensive coordinator at the University of Tennessee. That's a big deal. Kirby Smart is a defensive-minded head coach. I think that Jake Fromm um, is a guy. Now, remember, he is a guy who beat out Justin Fields and Jacob Eason. He's the starting quarterback of Washington. Huskies is going to be an NFL prospect. He's not going to be as highly rated as Tua or Joe Burrows, but he will get drafted at some point. Um, Jacob Eason from Washington. Uh, this guy was a freshman, and he beat out sophomore Jacob Eason. He got hurt and came back, never got his job back. He also beat out sensational, more athletic Justin Fields uh, was the best best prospect in the country when he was recruited to uh, Georgia. Now he's at Ohio State. They were very close to getting to a national championship game. Uh, he, 40 touchdowns, one interception. This guy's getting – remember, he had that MCL spring. That's why I did not take him, uh, take Ohio State to beat Clemson. But if it wasn't for that, I was going to take Ohio State – and you see how that was just a one-score game. This team got up to 16-0 lead there. But my thing is, Jake, from uh, from today's game and from the season, this guy's going to get drafted. He may get 
he may fall in the draft to the second or third round. A good friend of mine, Freddie, uh, the pizza man out of Detroit, was uh, saying that maybe he does fall there and fall to an organization that can put a good team around him. It's not a complete dumpster fire. Uh, keep an eye on him. He played well today. Uh, Justin Herbert, he did run in for three touchdowns. Now, I think he's going to be more of a project guy. I can see him being like a Josh Rosen type of player uh, coming from Oregon. Not sure how. He's one of those guys you may have to have a team around him. Don't think he's going to be as successful as a Tua, depending on his health status, a Joe Burrows or even a Jake Fromm. Uh, I think he's going to fall below those guys. May be wrong, but uh, it, it uh, that's my early observation. Now, that was a big win getting over uh, Wisconsin this um, Oregon team. And, of course, my Michigan-Miami. Michigan, for a half, played really well. Had the league on Alabama for a chunk of this game. And, of course, I looked up and I was like, okay, they didn't score any more points. I mean, they, they got up to 16, they stopped. And then Alabama uh, keeps on scoring. I think it was like 21 to 16 or whatever. And I want to say that they had a field goal in the second half, and that was it or 17 or whatever, uh, they got destroyed in the second half. It was like 35 uh, to 16 or something like that. Either way, my, my uh, point about Michigan is my take on Michigan is what it was after they played Ohio State. They're just not in the class athletically with the Clemson, with an Alabama with an LSU, with Ohio State. They are just not in the class with those teams. With the uh, Florida, they're just not in that class. And I don't think that they will ever get in that class. I, uh, well, as far as Ohio State, maybe. Uh, I still uh, say that, contend that once Urban Meyer's players get cycled through Ohio State, we're going to find out what kind of coach Ryan Day is. You know, the old adage is you never want to be the guy who follows the legend. You want to be the guy who follows after the legend because you're going to be measured up to that, uh, to this guy's standards, and, and they're usually out of this world. Never want to be the guy who follows a Bear Bryant, Nick Saban. Uh, Urban Meyer's got three national people. No matter what people say about Urban Meyer, he's got three national championships behind only Nick Saban and Bear Bryant. Uh, remember the the coach, um, i think of his name here in a minute, from Nebraska. He was, had three. Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, those guys had two national championships. Keep that in mind. Herbert Meyer is one of the greatest of all time, and he had to follow him. It's not, it's not easy following a legend. Um, so that's my take for today's games. And like I said, rest in peace, David Stern. I wanted to to talk about the importance of a guy like that and the passing of um, a legend for for sports marketing and his vision and and, and long term focus. It wasn't really appreciated till later on, way after he was gone uh, out of the league. Not just I mean, died today, but he he's been uh, Adam Silver has been the commissioner since two thousand fourteen. So that was five year, uh, six years now going on. So uh, David Stern, uh, it's a guy to learn something from. 
in the other uh, franchise. And quite frankly, Adam Silver, you want to stop giving in to young people and, and listen to your instincts and, 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 and talk to the owners, particularly the older ones that's been around for a while of how to conduct business. That is all I have for tonight, everybody. I will probably be back on Saturday to go over the games. I want to get as close as I can to these playoff games. Uh, there's a lot of this ifs and buts. You know, I'm one day, one minute I'm leading towards Philadelphia and Seattle, Philadelphia. Next minute I'm leading back towards Seattle because I know Seattle beat them in a regular season, but these teams both have injuries and they seem to keep mounting. And I want to get as close as I can to the injury report before I make a decision on these games. Same thing with the uh, uh, Tennessee, New England. Uh, I think that's going to be a good game. Minnesota's going to be a good game. I think they will give New Orleans a game down there. Remember, they rested their starters. New Orleans had to play. Now, New Orleans, uh, things didn't work out for them. They have a three instead of a bye week. But uh, they're going to play a team that will, will be at home. I think New Orleans will likely win that game. That will be something fun to watch. Uh, Buffalo and Houston, great game. Uh, they're talking about J.J. Watt coming back for Houston. They can possibly make a Super Bowl run with a guy like that coming back. Um, my favorite is Kansas City followed by Baltimore. Uh, but we'll see how all this plays out. Like I said, I want to get closer to the games before I go back on there. I'll be back on. Saturday to do that, everybody. Have a good night. Again, Happy New Year. We're going to get this year started off right at some point this week. Hopefully, I'll have the tablet. I could be back on with Periscope and Twitter, which is where I will get most of my audience from. If you like this program, please share it. And uh, you can always find me, uh, the podcast, hashtag Sportscope, at rbutler723 for Twitter. And, of course, the sports with scope with the K S K O P E is the Facebook page as well. Thanks everybody. Have a good night.